What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speaker Podcast. On today's Speech Analysis, we're reviewing a talk called How We Can Help the Forgotten Middle Reach Their Full Potential by Danielle Armas. Um, now, this was a TED Talk. I liked this speech a lot. I think it had a lot of passion, a lot of energy in it. It had a lot of good moments where uh, the speaker got reactions from the audience, and that gave her more passion and energy as well. Um, the, the main thing I got from the speech is uh, she's using notes throughout the speech, so she's like looking at her note cards here and there. But the good thing about this speech is it's one of those speeches where if you want to hold note cards in a public speech or you want to present with like some type of help, for you to know what you're going to be saying next or to help guide you through your speech this is a speech you definitely want to watch um the use of the note cards is so subtle the the moments where she looks at it are, are so like not disturbing or not awkward or anything like that that it makes the speech very cohesive and very fluent and there's really not a lot of disruption even though there's no cards um having a note card during a speech is not a bad thing right that's a weird stigma that uh, public speakers get like that's totally fine for you to have something to organize your thoughts it's just a question of is there an awkward moment in which you're trying to figure out what to say next and the rest of the audience is looking for you to like start speaking and start saying stuff because that's when the the art of public speaking starts to get disrupted a little bit and the the whole act and performance that you're giving starts to get a little bit awkward so um the incorporation of that i thought was really good i also think the examples that danielle is using and incorporating them into the overall purpose of the speech is very very good as well um, so I would definitely look into how to use those examples and make them part of a micro level sort of argument in, in, in the middle of the speech that overall turns into a macro level argument. And I think some of her personal experiences are very strong as well. So um, overall, I like this speech. I hope you guys enjoyed the speech analysis and let's get into the talk. So I want to talk to you about the forgotten middle. To me, they're the students, co-workers, and plain old regular folks who are often overlooked because they're seen as neither exceptional nor problematic. They're the kids we think we can ignore because their needs for support don't seem particularly urgent. They're the coworkers who actually keep the engines of our organizations running, but who aren't seen as the innovators who drive excellence. So let's start off with talking about the beginning of the speech. Uh, if you're new to this channel, I love analyzing the beginning of public speeches because I like to see how public speakers try to hook their audience into the speech. Um, in a public speech, you have to try to captivate the audience's attention, particularly within the first minute of the speech. So uh, we did a whole series on how to hook the audience. You can check it out on the YouTube channel. But the strategy that Danielle is using here is being blunt, right? There's no story. There's no current event. There's no personal narrative. There's nothing sort of fancy. It's just like, I want to talk to you about the people who are disenfranchised, who are forgotten about, et cetera, et cetera. And then naming multiple examples that exemplify the points she's talking about in terms of the people who are in the middle who are forgotten. So this hook was just very blunt. She said what she wants to talk about, and now she's going to get into the story. In many ways, we overlook the folks in the middle because they don't keep us up awake at night wondering what crazy thing they're going to come up with next. And the truth is that we've come to rely on their complacency and sense of disconnection because it makes our work easier. You see, I know a little bit about the forgotten middle. As a junior high school student, I hung out in the middle. For a long time, I had been a good student, but seventh grade. 
So here she's transitioning into a personal experience about her in high school and how she was in the middle, which will start to frame the rest of her message um, by bringing in her own personal experience that will be told in a story format, probably, um, so that the audience will be more entertained by what she's talking about. It was a game changer. I spent my days gossiping, passing notes, generally goofing off with my friends. I spent my homework time on the phone reviewing each day's events. And in many ways, although I was a typical 12-year-old girl, my ambivalence about my education led to pretty average grades. Luckily for me, my mother understood something important, and that was that my location was not my destination. As a former research librarian and an educator, my mother knew that I was capable of accomplishing a lot more. But she also understood that because I was a young black woman in America, I might not have opportunities out of the middle if she wasn't intentional about creating them. So she moved me to a different school. She signed me up for leadership activities in my neighborhood. And she began to talk to me more seriously about college and career options I could aspire to. So here you see that Danielle is bringing in her, uh, bringing in her own personal identity and how that uh, combines with the overall experience that she's having while being in the middle, right? So she has already made the point that she is in the middle. Her mother has recognized that. And now based upon her identity, it is specifically in the geographical location of the world that she's in, there are structural barriers towards being able to get out of the middle. And that is where the speech is going to start to form itself uh, in towards, I'm assuming, how she ultimately gets out of the middle. Um, one thing you can notice is that she's holding no note cards, but she's not really looking at them often, right? Um, so I, I don't really remember if she's going to look at them in the, in the future of the speech while she's walking around, but she's doing a basic pace back and forth, so she's making sure she reaches all sides of the audience without really having to look at her note cards, but still holding them just in case. It's not really distracting, it's not really a big deal, so if you did want to give a public speech and you're really nervous about forgetting some of the stuff you say, I think as long as you practice it as much as it seems like she's practiced, you can hold the note cards and probably only glance at them a couple times if you forget what you were going to say. My mother's formula for getting me out of the middle was pretty simple. She started with high expectations. She made it her business to figure out how to set me up for success. She held me accountable. And along the way, she convinced me that I had the power to create my own story. That formula didn't just help me get out of my seventh grade slump. I used it later on in New York City when I was working with kids who had a lot of potential, but not a lot of opportunities to go to and complete college. You see, high-performing students tend to have access to additional resources like summer enrichment activities, internships, and an expansive curriculum that takes them out of the classroom and into the world in ways that look great on college applications. 
So again, here she's doing the structural analysis again that based upon the resources that you have as an individual in society, uh, you are given more access to different opportunities like internships, et cetera, which then look marketable to colleges, which then starts the whole cycle of people who have resources continue to be successful because they're in the same lane of resources. Obviously, she didn't have that, which is why she's talking about her mother uh, making her more accountable, having higher expectations for her to want to strive to achieve those opportunities. But we're not providing those kinds of opportunities for everyone. And the result isn't just that some kids miss out. I think we as a society miss out too. You see, I've got a crazy theory about the folks in the middle. I think there are some unclaimed winning lottery tickets in the middle. I think the cure for cancer and the path to world peace might very well reside there. Now, as a former middle school teacher, I'm not saying that magically everyone is suddenly going to become an A student. But I also believe that most folks in the middle are capable of a lot more. And I think people stay in the middle because that's where we've relegated them to. And sometimes that's just where they're kind of chilling while they figure things out. All of our journeys are made up of a series of rest stops, accelerations, losses, and wins. We have a responsibility to make sure that one's racial, gender, cultural and socioeconomic identity is never the reason you didn't have access out of the middle. So just as my mother did with me, I began with high expectations with my young people. And I started with a question. I stopped asking kids, hey, do you want to go to college? I started asking them, what college would you like to attend? You see, the first question. The first question leaves a lot of vague possibilities open, but the second question says something about what I thought my young people were capable of. On a basic level, it assumes that they're going to graduate from high school successfully. It also assumed that they would have the kinds of academic records that could get them college and university admissions. And I'm proud to say that the high expectations worked. While Black and Latinx students nationally tend to graduate from college in six years or less at a percent of 38, we were recognized by the college board for our ability not to just get kids into college, but to get them through college. understand that high expectations are great, but it takes a little bit more than that.
You wouldn't ask a pastry chef to bake a cake without an oven. And we should not be asking the folks in the middle to make the leap without providing them with the tools, strategies, and support they deserve to make progress in their lives. A young woman I had been mentoring for a long time, Nicole, came to my office one day. Again, bringing it back now into a personal experience to so bring up an example that is going to highlight what she's talking about. Uh, this was a pretty subtle transition, right? She didn't use any words, just started going into that, which works a lot of the time. Um, but you just have to make sure that it is explicit that you're talking about something else or else the audience might get lost and like, who's Nicole? I thought you were just talking about something else, right? So you have to really make that transition and then stick to it and then start explaining it. After her guidance counselor looked at her pretty strong transcript and expressed utter shock and amazement that she was even interested in going to college. What the guidance counselor didn't know was that through her community, Nicole had had access to college prep work, SAT prep, and international travel programs. Not only was college in her future, but I'm proud to say that Nicole went on to earn two master's degrees after graduating from Purdue University. We also made it our business to hold our young people accountable, but also to instill a sense of accountability in those young people to themselves, to each other, to their families, and to their communities. We doubled down on asset-based youth development. We went on leadership retreats and did high ropes courses and low ropes courses and tackled life's biggest questions together. The result was that the kids really bought into the notion that they were accountable for achieving these college degrees. It was so gratifying to see the kids calling each other and texting each other to say, hey, why are you late for SAT prep? And what are you packing for the college tour tomorrow? We really worked to kind of make college the thing to do. We began to create programs on college campuses and events that allowed young people to really visualize themselves as college students and college graduates. Me and my staff rocked our own college gear and had lots of fun, healthy competition about whose school was better than whose. The kids really bought into it and they began to see that something more was possible for their lives. Not only that, they could look around at that college-going community and see kids who came from the same backgrounds and the same neighborhoods and who were aspiring to the same things. Again, looking at the note card, not a really big deal because it's a quick, smooth transition. Um, so the example she's providing here sort of coincide with the larger philosophical message about individual accountability and being responsible for yourself even if your circumstances aren't the most optimal, even if your circumstances necessitate that you be stuck in the middle, to have a mindset that takes you out of being in the middle and then that mindset being the framework to enable yourself to take actions that actually get yourself out of the middle, like hold your peers accountable for uh, going to SAT classes. Um, so it's a pretty good example that's making the speech more cohesive. 
that sense of belonging was really key. And it showed up in a, in a remarkable, beautiful way one day when we were in the Johannesburg airport waiting to go through customs on our way to Botswana for a service learning trip. I saw a group of kids kind of huddled in a circle. Usually with teens, that means something's going on. <laughs> so I kind of walked up behind the kids to figure out what they were talking about. They were comparing passport stamps. And they were dreaming out loud about all the other countries they planned to visit in the future. And seeing these young people from New York City go on to not just become college students, but to participate in study abroad programs and to then take jobs around the world was incredibly gratifying. When I think of my kids and all the doctors, lawyers, teachers, social workers, journalists, and artists who came from our little nook in New York City, I hate to think of what would have happened if we hadn't invested in the middle. Just think about all that their communities and the world would have missed out on. This formula for the middle doesn't just work with young people. It can transform our organizations as well. So here she's taking the example of what she talked about with young people and now broadening it to larger organizations, corporations, companies, etc. and how those philosophical messages can be interjected with those as well. We can be more bold in coming up and articulating a mission that inspires everyone. We can authentically invite our colleagues to the table to come up with a strategy to meet the mission. We can give meaningful feedback to folks along the way. And, and sometimes most importantly, make sure that you're sharing credit for everyone's contributions. What happened when my staff aimed high for themselves is that what they were able to do for young people was pretty transformational. And it's been so wonderful to look back and see all of my former colleagues who've gone on to get doctorates and assume leadership roles in other organizations. We have what it takes to inspire and uplift the folks in the middle. We can extend love to the people in the middle. We can challenge our own biases about who deserves a hand up and how. We can structure our organizations, communities, and institutions in ways that are inclusive and that uphold principles of equity. Because in the final analysis, what is often mistaken for a period is really just a comma. Thank you. Cool. So that was how we can help the forgotten middle reach their full potential by Daniel R. Moss. Um, or Danielle R. Moss. So the ending to that speech was pretty cool, right? So it, it, uh, basically using a metaphor with um, grammar. Is it grammar or is it like, what do you call it? P punctuation, I think. Yeah, punctuation. Which is that when you have a period, you assume something stops. But when you have a comma, something obviously keeps going. And us as a society cannot assume that a period 
is the end all be all, or cannot assume that when someone says something that it is a period, but rather we have to interpret it as a comma in order to make sure that it keeps going. Uh, and I think this philosophical message was pretty widely interpreted uh, towards a conclusion about being more diverse, being more inclusionary towards every aspect of life in our organizations. So I thought this was a pretty good speech. Um, the use of the note cards was pretty perfect. The use of the metaphors were pretty good. Walking and pacing was fine. Examples were good. I thought it was an awesome speech. Um, so if you guys have any thoughts and comments on the analysis or the speech itself, definitely leave it below. I, I'm a nerd. I love hearing other people talk about speeches, so I will respond to you and, and uh, engage with that. But yeah, leave a uh, video if, or leave a speech that you want me to analyze in the, in the comments, and I will definitely check it out. And I'll see you guys in the next video.